So I'm going to read out of chapter 32 of Exodus. I'm just going to read the first six verses. I had to chop it up, obviously, for the sake of time. But just look at what Moses is, is going through here with his people. <clears throat> chapter 1 should be titled The Golden Calf in some of your Bibles. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what ha happened to him. You know, he's been gone for a little bit, so we need another God. We need another leader. And Aaron says to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hands, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And now when Aaron saw this, Aaron built an altar before it. Aaron who was in charge while Moses was out of town. Aaron, who was looking after the flock, built an altar before this idol. And Aaron then makes a proclamation, and he says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. <clears throat> and so the next day, they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up to play. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, what happens a lot of the time is we move in our timing instead of God's. We lack patience, church. Anyone? Okay, good. Man, do we lack patience. We live in this microwave, drive-through society, your way right away, right? And we worship and serve a crockpot God. You know, we need to remember that God's timing is perfect, and we rush everything. We're always in a rush. You ever notice that? The moment things take a little longer than we expect, right, we lose our minds. Why isn't this happening yet? Right? It's like losing weight or getting in shape. The older I get, the longer it takes, the harder it is. You know, oh, you too. <laughs> you know, it, it takes work, it takes commitment, it takes dedication, self-discipline, right? All these things have to come into play. Our character has to get in line, right? It's funny because what will happen with us is we'll give up a few things, make a few right choices, and God maybe will open a few doors, and now we expect the world. We expect, okay, I'm ready. God's like, no, slow down. You know what's ironic is when Israel was set free from Egypt, they took Joseph's remains with them. You know, this was the promise to Joseph that his remains would be buried with his people, Right? But the story of Joseph, this man that they held in such high esteem, was one of faithful endurance. It was one of a man who never gave up and never, ever demanded from God. 
right? It was 13 years in prison, false accusations, brothers leaving him for dead, sold into slavery. You know, simple life, right? He could have given up at any time, but because of his patience and perseverance, when things took a little longer than expected and got a little uncomfortable, we got to see God's plan play out and Joseph exalted before the very family that had forsaken him. His patience, his perseverance is a testimony to what God can do when we just trust him with the results. Our faith is in him. It's not in our results. It's not in our circumstances, right? Well, it should be. You know what, God? Even if, even if, who are we to make demands of a holy God? The one who already rescued us from certain death and damnation. Who poured out his grace, who put his son on a cross so that we would be free. And yet we still have the audacity to come before the throne and make demands and command things in Jesus' name. Slow down. That doesn't end well. I love in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you know, Joseph, after all these years, everybody had forgotten about him. Family thinks he's dead, you know. And here he is, you know, he's just God's favorite, keeps showing up in his life, not because, you know, of how charismatic he was or how likable or smart, all those things were there, but because of God's favor and his faithful endurance. Here he is now governing Egypt and his family and famine has struck the land. And, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, it's our brother Joseph. And they're in need now. And Joseph is in a position to help him. And you know, I love what Joseph says, and I love how he embraces them. He doesn't push him and say, ha ha, my dream came true. Go back and starve now. You know what I just went through because of you guys? Do you understand what 13 years in an Egyptian prison is like? Do you know what slavery is like? Do you know what it's like to live in a hole where your brothers leave you for dead? He doesn't do any of that. I don't know about you, but I might. I might. What he says is, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph literally says, it wasn't about me anyways. Thank you for doing what you did. It set me on course. And God used it to save all these lives. So praise the Lord. Let me be a reflection of faithfulness. Let God be glorified through me. It wasn't like, look at me, I'm a big shot now, guys. None of that. It was all about the lives that would be saved and the God that would be glorified. And that's how we ought to face things. See, you know what Israel wanted? They wanted this puny, tangible idol to worship and bow down to. This golden calf made out of earrings. You know? They just needed something to look at, something flashy and fancy, something they could say, ha, that's our God, something real that they could hold on to. You know, I love how R.C. Sproul puts it. He says, the cow gave no law and demanded no obedience. It had no wrath or justice or holiness to be feared. It was a deaf, dumb, and impotent God, but at least it could not intrude on their fun or call them to judgment. Whew. 
You know, if you think about it, we do the same things. Not much has changed. We come to Christ knowing that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. We receive his grace and his mercy. We become recipients of his promises, co-heirs with Jesus, adopted sons and daughters, given this promise of eternity. The, The power of God now dwells in us. We're literally become his body, right? But as soon as things don't go our way, or they take a little longer than expected, we start conjuring up these puny, impotent idols that bring us instant gratification. I need a drink. Oh, we start looking on the, on the internet for things to, to appease us or to satisfy us in the moment. Or we look for a new job new spouse, new home, whatever it is. We're so good. You know, Calvin said, he says, the heart is a factory of idols. And it's true. We have one for everything. And we've got to be aware of it. You know, like I said at the beginning, that was the thing I had to realize, is that idolatry was a big problem of mine. I had multiple idols in my life. Even my kids at that point. I put them before God. And I thought, oh, it's because I love them so much. I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to take care of them. In the meantime, sin was so prominent and reckless in my life. Like, they were hurting because I wasn't right with God. So here I am idolizing them and forsaking the one true God, and it's hurting them at the same time. And I'm thinking I'm loving them right. That's how short-sighted we are. Right? Right? All these idols do is anger God. They pull us further away from him. They lead others to worship them too. Right? Especially newer folks. Newer people to the faith. They're looking around. They're trying to figure this whole thing out. Right? They've been living in Egypt their whole lives. And all of a sudden they come in here and it's like, whoa, these people are nice. I hope. You know, but if they start to see you living just like the world, they start to see us reflecting the world from the pulpit with our music, with our actions, our behaviors, our lifestyles. What we're telling them is it's okay to to hold on to Egypt. Right? We're telling them that, that we're not much different than the world. There's no call to holiness on my life. There's no call to live like Christ. There's no call to love people radically, to be merciful and gracious. Nope. Just keep living how you want. Take a little bit of Jesus, just as much as you need, you know, until you feel good. But that's not the God of the Bible. I mean, we're going to read, God is not pleased. Idolatry does not make him happy. We're called to be a, a royal priesthood, right? A chosen nation, image bearers of Christ. What does that mean? Right? We're showing showing people who Jesus is by the way we live and what we believe. Our faith. Our radical faith. Right? And when we start worshiping golden calves and live like we're in Egypt again, we're just telling them that he's just another God. He doesn't deserve all my attention, all my worship, all my surrender. And what ends up happening? 
Right, not only are we living in disobedience to God, not only are we saying, you know, he's not the most important thing out there, right, without saying it. We're actually misleading people. We're actually telling people that this, this God has no power. This God doesn't deserve all of our honor and glory and surrender and worship. This is a God just like any other golden calf. You know what I love to, to reflect on, and I, and I heard this in Teen Challenge, and this is probably where this parts of this message come from, is, is you're not in Egypt anymore. And I think the Israelites needed to hear that more. I think they needed to look at one another and say, hey, you know you're not in Egypt anymore? So they could go, you know what, you're right. Why do I keep doing this? I mean, it has been 430 years. I'm sure some habits and some cultural impact has happened. But, you know, it's time to let go of that. Stop being comfortable with your captor. Right? You're not in Egypt anymore. You've been set free. Church, we're not in Egypt anymore. We've been set free. We were bought at a price. We're no longer our own. We're a holy people set apart from God. For God, rather. We've been, yeah, amen. We've been given a life. Now, what we do with that from here on out matters. I want to be a little interactive. I like to do this with you guys. I like to make sure everybody's awake and paying attention. Look at your friend. Look at somebody next to you and just say, you're not in Egypt anymore. Someone's going to start daydreaming. I should go to Egypt. I wonder how much flights are right now. Let's look at verses 19 through 22. For the birthday, and these things are much more necessary now than they ever were. <laughs> it came about as soon as Moses came near to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses, his anger burned, it says. He threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, calf which they had made and burned it with fire, and he ground it to powder, and he scattered it over the surface of the water, and then he made the sons of Israel drink it. When Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that, that you brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let your, your anger burn, my Lord. I love this. This is the line. He says, you know the people yourself, that they're prone to evil. That they're prone to evil. You know them, Moses. You know how they are. You've been dealing with them all along. They're prone to evil. What else am I going to do? Ooh, can you imagine? But you know, I think about this and I think, boy, isn't this what the American church is like? Right? The people demand entertainment. They get entertainment. We jump from church to church. Oh, you know, these seats aren't too comfortable. You know, I'm going to find a church that has more comfortable seats. Or, you know, I don't like the preacher. He's short. <laughs> That's right. My point is, is, is that we allow the people we're leading to dictate how we lead. 
And that's what Aaron was doing. Moses entrusted Aaron with this responsibility. Hey, just for a few weeks, I want you to just keep an eye on these crazy people because I need a vacation. No, because I'm going to go up on the mountain and I'm going to deal with God right now because he wants to speak to his people. And Aaron, sure, you know, he's an under-shepherd. He's like, you got this. And Aaron, it was proven. He wasn't like, you know, he's a rookie here. He'd been through a lot, right? Remember the battle of the Amalekites? I mean, if you've read it, you understand how he was the one holding up Moses' arms with her so that they would win. You know, the whole point is, is that Aaron's not a slouch, but here we are. And a lot of times, this is what we do. We preach a message or we create a culture inside of a church that accommodates the people. Essentially, what we are doing is we are, we are forming a golden calf for you to worship. Just so you'll be comfortable and come on Sunday. Shame on us. Shame on the church for thinking that that's okay. Right? I mean, I'm sorry. We should be uncomfortable here. We are full of sin. What, would, what did Aaron just say? You know these people, Moses. They're prone to evil. Nothing's changed, just so you know. Jesus came not because we got better, but because things got worse. Right? Without him, we don't have a prayer. And so let's think about this for a second. I want us to just remember this. Never forget where you came from or what you're capable of. The moment we do is the moment we fall. Never forget it. Don't think, I, I know I'm celebrating 13 years this week, but don't you think, that wasn't gratuitous, I swear. Somebody's just being nice. <laughs> But don't you think for one second that I don't realize my propensity to sin? Don't you think for, for one minute that I don't remember who I was and where I came from? And that if I just take one stupid turn or make one dumb decision, I'm just like Aaron. And so we need to stay girded up in the truth. I need people around me. You know? I need people to remind me. You know, that, it, it's great when you have a friendship like Pastor Brian and I do, because we can speak freely into each other's lives. There's a lot of formality that goes out the window, isn't there? It gets messy at times, too. But you know what? It's real. That's one thing I can tell you. And that's what happens, is when you have real relationship, real discipleship present in your life, when you're serious about this, that'll happen. When you say, I want this, I'm going to do this, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I'm going to take those steps, I'm going to initiate this now in my life. I'm done being lukewarm. You start to surround yourself with people who think the same way. You start to realize you're in this together, and you don't just all of a sudden put on a mask and go, look at me how religious I am now. Right? Well, you wouldn't. You're a droid. <laughs> but what happens and you take off that mask. What happens when you can actually be yourself? And you stop worshiping the golden calf. And you start to say, you know what? I want God to be God in my life. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to tune myself to him. I'm not going to start creating him in my image. You know what happens a lot of the times? Is we, get, we satisfy ourselves with this nominal commitment and devotion to Jesus. You know? We created Jesus in our image. Rather than remembering that we were created in His. 
and we start to, to worship a Jesus, even when we're standing here singing these songs with our hands raised, what we're doing is, is we're literally worshiping ourselves because we're saying Jesus is okay with this and Jesus is okay with that and Jesus doesn't expect this and Jesus doesn't want that. There's never a call to holiness on ourselves. Now, am I trying to beat you up this morning? Not intentionally. <laughs> because as I'm preparing this, I'm thinking the same thing. I've got to stop being so gracious with myself and be a little more demanding. I've got to start living up to a higher standard or expectation for myself. Or you know what's going to end up happening? Is that line in the sand keeps getting erased. And the next thing you know, I'm way back. I'm regressing instead of progressing. And that happens for all of us. And so, Aaron says, you know, these people are prone to evil, so I'm just going to give in. Can you imagine, as a leader, as a shepherd, you guys are just evil, so I'm just going to let you do what you want. How is that leadership? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? Paul writes this to the Corinthians. There was all kinds of problems in that church. And he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed lest he fall. Right? Don't think that you're standing so firm that you're beyond now this ability to fall. Remember your propensity for sin. Remember who you were when I met you. Never forget where you came from, he says. Aaron, as I said, was no slouch. But for whatever reason, when things got too tough, he slipped. And the people overwhelmed him, and he allowed for compromise in the camp. Right? A cord of three strands is not e easily broken, church. When we lock arms, when we're together, and we're holding each other up, and we're holding each other accountable... We're going to walk upright. Good things. God's going to bless us. Good things are going to happen. Growth will happen personally, corporately. Well, what happens when we start to lean on our own understanding, when we start to be influenced by the masses again, by Egypt? It gets ugly. Jeremiah 17, 6 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right? Paul writes in chapter 7 of Romans, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Ah. Paul, the super apostle who wrote 13 books in the New Testament, wrote that. He's talking to the church in Rome. He's saying, you know what? I know what I need to do, but nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. The only good thing about me is Jesus. What happens when I start to live in the flesh? I immediately take control. I immediately put Jesus in the passenger's seat. I immediately start to tell him where we're going and how we're going to get there. And that's the problem. We're too often in the flesh looking for these golden calves. We're, we're distracted and tempted by all the red shiny apples around us. And boy, are there a lot around here. We're prone to evil. Don't believe me? Who has kids? <laughs> A lot of you have kids. 
See, these precious little angels that we all stood around in the hospital and we stared and gawked at them after they were born and we oohed and aahed every time they cooed and, and, and God and all these things. And then what happens? They turn into toddlers. I love our toddler. I'm just saying. And then they turn into teenagers. Go ahead, get it all out. <laughs> But don't laugh too hard because we're not much better as adults. You know, what happens when we, when we turn into adults is we just learn to hide it better. We've been doing it for so long. We've been in Egypt for so long, and we just give it different names. We have more freedom and authority. We just abuse that. See, church, the minute we forget what God has rescued us from and what we're capable of is the moment we're in deep doo-doo. I can't say the other word. But Galatians 5.1 is one of Pastor Brian's favorite verses, and he recites it often, and it's a great reminder. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free, so stand firm. It says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Don't forget what you're capable of. So stand firm now in this freedom. Don't submit yourselves again to the ways of Egypt. Remember where you came from. Stand firm in the truth. Stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm in your position. Remember that. Remember what leaning on your own understanding got you in the past. Remember what those Egyptian values and mindsets got you in the past. Right? You can't take Jesus, excuse me, you can't take Egypt into the church and expect good results. It's just not going to happen. So I want you to just look at, at the person next to you. I want you to just say, stand firm. Now I'm going to read verses 30 through 35, and this is where it gets a little ugly. It says, on the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going to go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for you. Right? You really messed up this time. This, is, this God who's done everything for you, you've really messed that up, and now I'm going to go up, and I'm going to try to speak to him on your behalf. And so Moses returned to the Lord, and he said, alas, this people has committed a great sin, God. They've made a God of gold for themselves, but now, if you will, forgive them their sin. And if not, if you can't forgive them, then please blot me out from your book which you have written. Such a key statement there. Moses was a leader. A true leader. If you can't forgive them all, if you can't extend your grace to every one of those people, then just blot me out too. I'm going to go down with them. I'm responsible for them. These are my people that you have given me. That's what a leader looks like. Right? He gives them truth. He tells them about this God who's angered. But then he goes to this God and he says, God, if you can't, then I'm going down with my ship. The Lord says to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, 
I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angels shall go before you, and nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. And then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. The Lord's wrath was poured out on those people because of their idolatry and because of the calf that they made. You know, a lot of times what we do is we try to paint this God who is all mercy and grace and no wrath and truth. But this is who our God is. And one thing we know, the immutable, unchanging God is the same then as he is now. The only thing that's changed is Jesus. Jesus came into the picture. That's the only thing. And so these people were punished for what they did back then. There was no grace. He was done with them. We try not to read these parts of the Bible sometimes, don't we? Or we try to pretend that this is not who our God is. You know, maybe it doesn't sell a lot of books, right? Maybe it won't make the best sellers. Maybe it doesn't promote the living your best life now mentality. But I'm going to tell you, it'll put us in line when we need it. I don't need to feel good about myself. I need truth. I need discipline. I am prone to evil. I need to know the way. And if I don't, I'll create one, and it won't be pretty. We need to stay grateful and remember the value of the cross. Stay grateful and remember the value of the cross. There's something that we have that they didn't. And that's Jesus. The power of God in our lives, the spirit of God is in us. We've been given grace. Our sins have been blotted out instead of us. And I think we forget that sometimes. I think we become ungrateful, don't we? We become expectant, don't we? We're in the middle of our journey to the promised land, and we're standing around going, I need a golden calf because God hasn't come through in a while. We forget the Egypt we were in, and we're starting now to get unsatisfied with our lives, and we become ungrateful. When all we need to do is be still and look around. You know, the simple saying, count your blessings. Count your blessings. Give thanks. Live gratefully. Right? The gospel is our promise that even when we look back and allow the Egypt in us to rear its ugly head, we're forgiven and free from the wrath of God. Amen? Forgiven and free. Because we mess up. My story, much like the story of Israel and a lot of stories I know, is one of constant failure, rebellion, and sin. It's not this shining story of like, wow, Jamie went to Teen Challenge. And when he came home, he's been perfect. (laughs) I had to look at my wife. You know, the reality is, is that this is an ongoing process, and some days are really messy. You know, some days are really good, right? You think, I'm on top of the world. I got this. God's moving. God's working. He's using me. You know, you see someone have breakthrough, and he shows you all this good stuff, and the next morning, you can't get out of your own way. 
The next morning you're fighting over a, 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 a toothpaste being squeezed the wrong way or the toilet paper being hung the wrong way. <laughs> Not mentioning any names, but there is a, there's levels to this stuff and there's a system in place for a reason. <clears throat> I'll get back to the message now. Again, my story is one of constant failure. <laughs> but here's the beautiful thing. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you. It'll have no power over you anymore. It'll have no control over any, you anymore because you are not under law. You're now under grace. You've got God's grace in your life. So when you mess up, you can get up. You've got God's grace in your life. So when you fail... It's not the end. We don't have to be afraid to be, I don't know how to say it in this tense, smote, smitten, smited. I don't know. That's a new one for me. We don't have to be afraid of God's wrath being poured out on us because of Jesus, because of the blood, because of the cross. And I think we're very, very, very forgetful. This is a big deal, church. I mean, I'm not reading a fairy tale. I'm reading history. God's people, time and time again, failing, disobeying, worshiping the wrong thing. And God comes down on them with his holy wrath. And they deserved it. And he had already been patient with them. You know, now we have grace. And I think what we forget is, and, and this is not... Grace is not licensed to sin. It's not licensed to sin. You know, I think a lot of times that's how we see it. Oh, that's good. I'm good. I'm under God's grace. I can just keep. No, grace is the power to live a holy life. Grace is the power. Grace says, you know what? I know you messed up, but you get a chance to do this again tomorrow. Grace is the opportunity to restore a relationship in your life that you thought, was, it was irreparable. Grace is the opportunity to see restoration in families. Grace is the opportunity to see addicts set free. Grace is the opportunity for you to become the person that you were supposed to be in the first place. Grace is God. It's his love being poured out on our lives. And so, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up. The prayer team is going to be up front here. But we have some thinking to do here. I want you to stay grateful, church. I want you to cultivate a grateful heart. That's something that we talk about a lot. You know, great, gratitude doesn't just happen, unfortunately. As I said, we're very forgetful. So it has to be cultivated. We have to count our blessings. We have to remember daily what God has done, what God is doing, how good God is. We've got to stay grateful. And you know what? Grateful people are happy people. Grateful people are godly people. And so I want you to, I love saying it like this, turn to your neighbor, my churchy accent, and say, stay grateful. Before the music starts playing, I want to ask you to stand up. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
We have access to the Most High God. We have access to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. He's the way. Right? You have access to Him right here, right now, this morning. If you're struggling because Egypt is more pronounced in your life now than Christ, this is the time to deal with it. Right? If you're struggling because, you know, you can't seem to let go of some of those old values and old habits and old hurts and old hang-ups, now is the time that you deal with that. Right? See, some of you are still allowing Egypt to live in you, and it's time to put that to death. Some of you are still living in Egypt today, and you need to be set free. So I'm going to ask you, close your eyes and bow your heads with me and humor me for a moment here. See, first thing I want to address is this. If you're here today and you need to be rescued from your Egypt, if you've never professed your faith in Jesus and would like to make him your Lord and Savior, I want you to just take this reflective moment and with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to make that profession today, raise your hand first, would you? We see your hands. We see your hands. It might take a little bit of courage next, but I'm going to tell you, following Jesus will be the best decision of your life. It'll be the day you were set free from Egypt, the day you were set free from your sin. And I want you to just, as the prayer team comes up, Pastor Brian's up here, Pastor Willie, I want you to just make your way to the altar, and we're going to meet you right here, and we're going to pray with you, and we're going to walk through this with you. Don't be scared. Don't, everybody's heads down, eyes are closed. I want you to just come pray with us so we can welcome you into this family. And if there's anyone else who's still struggling and needs to get Egypt out of Israel, if you have sin that keeps nagging at you, just come before God this morning and surrender. You can make your way up now too. We want to pray with you, church. Come on down.